Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. Today we're talking about something very near and dear to both of our hearts, and probably to a lot of yours as well. Is Hollywood dead? Dun dun dun! (laughs) There's been a whole slew of recent articles, we'll put some of them in the show notes, but yeah, let's go. Articles and videos, uh, you know, talking about how Hollywood is dead. But you know, it's not a new thing. Um, I found articles from 2017 and, and earlier, 2013, all saying the same thing, and it's it's... It's not like this snuck up on Hollywood. You know, the changing world and the changing environment is not all because of COVID. It's because of a lot of things. A lot of things, all businesses have to deal with economics, um, habits changing and stuff like that. I think COVID sort of has uh, accelerated the situation. Well, it's certainly made, you know, a big chunk of Hollywood, which is theatrical movies, you know, suffer dramatically and people talking about, will it ever come back? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a whole that's a whole theater kind of part of the discussion. And uh, I think AMC recently announced they had new financing. They're going to be fine. So um, and with the vaccine coming, you know, being more prevalent, hopefully, you know, this summer we'll be seeing some blockbusters in the theaters again, you know, hopefully very distance from our neighbors. But <laughs> but hopefully, you know, within a couple, you know, we'll be with our friends that have all been vaccinated and then everyone else can be a, a row or two apart. So let's start with what does it mean to say Hollywood is dead? Let's define that. Yeah, really. When I think of Hollywood, I think of the business and I think that's fine. Like, like there may be production going on in Cleveland and Atlanta and Pittsburgh and everywhere else in the world, you know, taking away production from LA, from Hollywood itself. But those people working in those places are all part of unions that belong here. They're mostly part of the the deals that got made with the actors and the writers are all here in Hollywood. Those things start here. Then they go make it there. And um, I can tell you being from Cleveland, all the production going on there is all basically location shooting. There is, they they don't have green screen studios. They don't have, they don't have post-production facilities that can handle this. So all this, you know, they talk about tax incentives and stuff you know, taking business from LA. Yeah, there's a little bit of production going away, but most of it's still here or being overseas, overseas in Asia. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, speaking of, of tax incentives. So I'm from Michigan and right as I was leaving, the previous governor, I believe it was under Granholm, did a lot with tax incentives because they wanted to make Michigan kind of like a little Hollywood. And I don't think they realized that Yes, it's good as a short-term investment as far as, you know, people come in and they and they film because they can do it on the cheap and, you know, hotels and restaurants and stuff like that. But they didn't have the infrastructure, like you're saying, the green screens, the sets, the talent even. I'm not even talking like acting talent, but just crew talent. They didn't have that. Everyone had to be shipped in from L.A. and they didn't have the infrastructure. And by the time they built the infrastructure, the new governor was like, I don't want to do tax incentives for filmmaking. It's too costly. Let's go into, you know, biotechnology instead. And so it's one of those things like Atlanta's doing it really well, but Atlanta's been doing it for years and you have to have stuff in place if you're really going to be competitive. Cleveland benefited from Michigan's uh, governor killing their tax benefits (laughs) um, because we had a film commissioner in Cleveland 
who um, was from LA actually, and he lobbied Columbus, the governor, to you know put in these tax incentives and then increase them. And then on top of that, he really worked on building the infrastructure. He he pushed for classes. I think they started a production, like a TV film production class at Cleveland State University. Built a, they were building a studio there. You know, so all they were starting to build some infrastructure. They still can't do major stuff, but they're training people so that when movies want to come to that area, they can hire locally, and that saves them transportation and housing and those kind of costs. Yeah, because they want to do it from start to finish. They don't want to just bring people in for filming and then leave and all the post stuff goes out of state anyway. Well, the post stuff still goes out of state. Um, there's not a whole lot of that in Cleveland. I mean, there's some commercial stuff like for doing, you know, like ads and stuff for TV. Not as, excuse me, not, you know, full on like we're going to do Harry Potter. You know, we're not going to mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff. It was it's it's been growing. You know, it's been good. Is it ever going to be, you know, Hollywood level? No. I mean, you look at at um, they talk about the industry changing and the production going elsewhere, but LA studios are still packed with production. I mean, not right now because of COVID, but before COVID, they were ninety six percent busy, and that's because now with all the streaming stuff, there's more content being generated. So you still need everything that's going on in LA, but you still can go other places as well. And a lot of that has to do with TV and and shows, not necessarily feature films, which can be done on location. You know, you need studio space for, you know, weekly shows. That's here pretty much. Or, you know, used to go to Vancouver a lot for that and some in Toronto. And you know what? I don't think people, I don't think what people realize either. I didn't even know it until I was on set. Like, this is pre-pandemic now. But a lot of studios actually share space with each other. And a lot of streamers rent space from current studios. So everybody's using everybody's facilities out here. Absolutely. Um, studios are huge investments in real estate, basically. And you build all these sound stages, you want them busy all the time. And if your own network doesn't have enough shows to fill it up, or they want to film it somewhere else for some reason, yeah, you're going you're gonna to rent that space out to whoever can use it. And like Netflix does not own studio space. They own some office buildings here in, in Hollywood, but they, don't, they have some studios in there, but they don't, they don't own it. It's not theirs. So they're going to go wherever they can. And that's part of the business that maybe people don't understand is just because, you know, it's ABC or NBC or CBS is showing the show or Disney Plus. It may not be them who's producing it. You know, you're going to hire a production company a lot of times to make these shows and they're going to make it wherever they want to. They may not even be in California, but they're making the show. I mean, like The Walking Dead was all filmed in Georgia, like kind of on location. But it's, you know, it's AMC's here in Hollywood or they're actually, I think, in, um, are they over in um, West Hollywood or um, Beverly Hills area? I have that no area. idea. I've gone by their, I've gone by their, their, their offices over there. You can see it from Santa Monica Boulevard. Oh, okay. But yeah, so they're here, but you know, that doesn't mean The Walking Dead has to film here. You know, it's about e- economics in a lot of ways. Um, and it's just, you know, it makes more sense to film a show like that on location because it's, it's a very exterior heavy show. Okay, so Tom, you're contending Hollywood is not dead. But I know a lot of people are worried about streaming services and how that changes the landscape, the costs of production, especially with COVID. There is no pilot season or episodic season anymore. So how about that? Um, you're right. That's changed huge. That's changed uh, massively. There's been a huge shift there. But it's still, um, you know, writers got to write. So like our jobs, I think, and specifically for writers, 
haven't changed all that much. The, the COVID pandemic has just shown us that writers rooms can go virtual. Writers are generally just locked in rooms, very various places writing. So they don't always have to be where things are being made. That's always been the case. But now it's, it's even more obvious that writers don't have to be in LA. Now, as far as like, you know, we came to LA to you know, act, you want to be an actor and a writer and I want to be a writer. You know, you come here and we, we've done an episode on, do you have to be in LA to be a writer? And I think my big takeaway from that was this is where a lot of stuff happens as far as networking and, and, you know, growing your craft and, you know, you know, the experience of, uh, of Hollywood and meeting people and being able to get in that, that route that I think has really uh, changed now because, you know, one thing I've, I've wondered is, well, since COVID hit, did I even need to stay in LA? I could have gone back to Ohio, you know, for eight, nine months. I'm going to argue with you on a certain point here. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Because you don't, you still have to start somewhere. Like from what I can tell, the casting directors that are doing it remotely, the writers who are doing it remotely, even the actors, like I think Mindy Kaling has a house in what, New Hampshire? And like Jeremy Renner doesn't even live here. He's like in Vegas. But what's the common denominator for all of them? They started out in L.A. And then once they built a name, they were able to leave. So all those writers who are writing remotely and still writing for big shows, they still were here before the pandemic hit. The pandemic just allowed them to move back to, you know, wherever their home state was and save a little bit of money. But they didn't start in their home state and somehow break into Hollywood. They were in Hollywood and had already broken out and then were able to leave and do it remotely. So there's the difference. I do agree with that. I actually do not contest that at all. But I think things have changed a little bit. Um, I'm in a, in a writing program right now called Get It Made. And we do everything on Zoom right now because of the pandemic. And the people on this program are all over the place. They're not all in L.A. But they have access is what I'm thinking. What I'm saying is people, writers everywhere have access to the same um, you know, network and opportunities that we do currently in Hollywood. Because we can't go to mixers and meetings and, you know and uh whatever talks by agents and managers we don't we don't have extra access right now that people outside of la um are missing right now at least for the moment unless it goes back to something like it was the the playing field is a little more level i think to an extent but i will argue again (laughs) that i don't the pandemic isn't happening long enough to create like not that it's not creating permanent change. It is, but not such long-term change. Like if this pandemic went on for five years, yes, suddenly, you know, somebody from, you know, Maine or something can break into Hollywood and never have to move at all. I would agree with you on that. But it's really only been about a year and a half and we're already making progress to get out of it. So I don't think, I think it'll shift things, but I don't think it's going to be like this crazy you know, avalanche of stuff where you're like, oh my gosh, everything changed. It's just going to be minor subtle shifts. I do agree again. Yes. <laughs> I, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to play both sides of it, but I do agree that um, for writers in general, it hasn't been that long. And I do believe that agents and managers and, and the availability of networking events will come back. Cause I think that's, it's, it's not a, um, it's not a technology issue for writers in general. I think one one thing you might see though is a lot of the post production may stay virtual. Uh, there has been a huge investment in technology to keep production going 
in the pandemic where you have editors and sound designers and, you know, all these, you know, just like you, you're doing recording at home in your closet slash, you know, studio. I think a lot of that investment that people have put into that is going to, they're going to want to use that on an ongoing basis. So they may, they may say, Hey, you know what? We're saving a lot of money on office space by outsourcing this this way. And it's working. But that stuff had already been, a lot of posts had already been being outsourced. Like even when you did the effects for reclamation, you outsourced to what, like India or something? And that was like mm-hmm. five years ago, way before the pandemic. Oh so... yeah, that definitely definitely happened. But I mean, there were there are studios in LA that, you know, have, have set up to work remotely. Uh, a lot of animation we talked about, you know, has been ongoing, but they've had to come up with um, outsourced uh, methods of doing it company I used to work for that does distribution for, you know, online streamers had people starting to work from home. They just set up the network so they could handle the large files and access the systems remotely in a secure way so that they could keep their, um, their, um, their workflow, you know, going at the same level without having to have people in the office. So they might consider having some people continue to work that way. You know what I would tell people this is not really like a is Hollywood dead thing we can circle back to that but if you're interested in doing anything remotely Hollywood directing producing writing acting what I would do now which you maybe should have been doing even during the the, the beginning of the pandemic save up your pennies save 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 and then the minute the pandemic is over if you think you want to come to LA move out here because it's actually right now more expensive to leave California than it is to come. And I think that's going to stay the same for a couple months after the pandemic kind of, you know, is under control. So if you think you want Hollywood, save up now. And that money is going to go so much further than it would have been even five years ago. And I think that once things are quote unquote safe again, I have a feeling people are going to go nuts. Like we're going to be like, oh my gosh, all the Christmas parties, all the networking events, everything. Like I feel like everyone's, because we're, we've been so cooped up, I feel like it's just going to like really bounce back in a crazy way. So that's just my advice. We're also, we're also uh, thirsty. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're also, uh, what do you call it? Cabin fever. We all want to get out and mix and mingle again. Seriously. I mean, I really, I really think that's, because also a lot of people left LA during the pandemic because of cost of living, because they wanted to be home with their families. And, you know, one, one of the things that a friend told me a long time ago, that this was related to acting, but I would think it's anything entertainment, is the people who say, oh, I'm just going to go back home for a few months. They never come back. And actually, Tom, you know, you were talking about leaving for a few months and moving back to Ohio or going to Florida with your folks. And I said, don't leave, because if you leave, you probably won't come back, you know? I, I I think you forget how actually kind of tough LA is. And once you, you're here and you get entrenched, you kind of get used to it. I think once you leave and you realize it's so much easier not to be in LA, you know, you might not want to come back because, but it, you're, it's a trade-off again, you know, you mm-hmm. don't have the access. So it's it's still harder to, to get into the business not being here. But that's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. after the pandemic settles down, I have a feeling because there's still enough people out here. There's still enough of the old guard doing things in the quote unquote old fashioned way, the way it's always been done, that it's not going to. That's why I'm saying it's not going to change right away. But if you come out here the minute the pandemic sort of, you know, tapers out and it seems safe to move, 
your money's going to go so much further. You're going to meet so many more people and you're going to come in when it's cheaper and easier to move here and live here. Yeah, I've read that rents are down. In fact, I moved in October of 2020 and I got a like a move in deal, you know, like a discount mm-hmm. for moving in. And they never do that in L.A. because they're always so <laughs> full. So you can you know, something's something's going on when you're when people are offering move in incentives. Yeah, because they're trying to fill spaces. That's that's really unusual and definitely uh, definitely was an exodus um, because of the pandemic. And I again, I don't there's been an exodus from L.A. in general over years, but people keep moving here, too. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a churn. You know, a lot of people have gone to Austin or gone to um, up to like uh, Oregon, I think in Seattle a lot and Colorado a lot. People moving from L.A. to Colorado. I don't know if those are Hollywood people, though. They may just be Angelinos who are tired or tired of L.A. in general. I know that Oregon had a lot of like L.A. X. Portland was was doing a lot of production. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe right now with Austin, it's more like a Silicon Valley exodus. So if you're in tech, a lot of them are going to Austin. But I don't think it's necessarily entertainment. A lot of of people are saying that actually Silicon Valley is going to be the competitor to Los Angeles, to Hollywood. Um, Really? Well, well, you look at... um, the technology in the film business with CGI movies um, and getting into CGI actors and holo- you know, hol- the holographic stuff where they're recreating dead people. Oh yeah. And even starting to things like um, I know it hasn't been very successful, but um, artificially intelligent um, computers, writing scripts, even stuff like that. A lot of uh, journalism is now being done by computers, by artificial intelligence, things like sports news stories and stock news stories can be formulaic enough that they can have computers write those. Some of that is actually happening. I still don't think they're going to have screenwriting being done by, by artificial intelligence yet. Oh, that makes me so sad. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of things happening in the industry that are making me sad, but oh, that's definitely one of them. I really hope yeah. I don't see that ever happen in my lifetime. <laughs> oh my goodness. So then I guess when we say is Hollywood dead, are we talking the streaming wars? and? movie theaters versus the little screen for releases is that what they mean by hollywood is dead yeah when you think of hollywood you think of the silver screen i think that's something we really uh, really has always been a problem and we saw some changes in the theater business before the pandemic with um things like a list you know and um movie pass trying to get people into the theaters more because they already had a problem with lagging ticket sales and those seem to be working i mean i was going to the movies a lot with a list I don't know if it was making the movie the the movies any money because of how many movies I was seeing, but it was a a way to try to generate more traffic in the theaters. I think it was better for the theater owners, if anything, because they sold more concessions. I mean, I know they were saying that theaters were kind of dying beforehand, like theaters kind of run like gas stations where they make more money off the concessions than they do yeah. off the actual product. You know, it's interesting because I feel like I mean, and we're seeing some of it change already, but there's reasons that you wanted to have a theatrical release, like to be, you know, a contender for awards and stuff like that, that obviously with the pandemic has changed. But at the same time, I mean, like, for example, like I saw Wonder Woman 1984 when it came out and I was so disappointed. And I kind of wonder, a friend of mine actually said he saw it, he's back in the Midwest, he saw it in the theater. And I'm like, you know, I wonder if seeing it in the theater would have covered all its story flaws. 
Oh, know? The, the the big screen spectacle, the surround yeah. sound. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I've seen the movie. I don't think that would have helped that much. I think that was a story problem. But I know what you're saying. There's the theatrical experience is still something we like. And mm-hmm. we still like going on dates to the movies. We still like getting together with friends and, and our family to see a movie and going to dinner. It's a social thing. I don't think it's going away. Um, as long as we get vaccinated and can get back out into the world, people are going to want to go go to the movies. It's kind of like, I, th- I liken it to um, the DVD video, home video aspect of it. You used to get, um, you know, you used to get a lot of v- VHS tapes and DVDs as presents. CDs too, you know, uh, even books used to be great things you would give as presents. Well, now what do you give as a present? Everybody gets everything digitally. You know, do you give a gift card to Netflix or a gift card to, uh, even if you get a gift card to Amazon, you can buy things digitally, digital books, digital games. So it's kind of like that's taken away a big chunk of gift giving, I think, as like the creative side of it anyway. I don't think that's going to happen with theaters. People are still going to want to go to theaters. So I don't think the digitization of video, like that you can have it downloaded into your home, is going to change the behavior of people that like going to the movies. Well, there's two things with the streaming to to think about. First of all, if everything if everything is shot for you you shoot different for a movie screen versus for like a TV screen, right? So like for example, Ben-Hur is is very like epic and sweeping. That doesn't translate as nice onto a little screen unless you have a really big TV at home. So certain things like gravity, I would never have wanted to watch that on my TV at home. That one, you needed a big screen to see it and to appreciate it. So, you know, you have to tailor your film to where you think it's going to end up. And it's a really, it's disappointing if you're shooting for something theatrically and then thanks to COVID or whatever, it ends up going on a streaming thing and it loses some of that magic because you're watching it on something that's like what, you know, I don't even know. 56 inches versus however big a movie screen is you know what i'm saying so you have to think about or like when you watch something on your phone right you know watching something on your phone you don't want some big epic wide shot because you're like i can't tell is that an ant or is that a person you know so it depends on the screen um i forgot what the second point was (laughs) well i i get what you're saying and obviously you wouldn't want to watch a tv show on a movie screen because then it's mostly gigantic heads looking at you right (laughs) oh I remember the second point now. The other interesting thing, which nobody's really brought up in terms of streaming services, I've heard it in other places. Like, for example, I play a lot of video games right now. And one of the things they talk about in terms of like all those video game providers, like if you get stuff digitally on your Switch or like you buy something through Steam, if the service goes out, you don't own those games. They're gone. So it's the same kind of thing with a movie service, you know, like HBO or Disney or whatever. If they decide to pull the content or pull the plug, you can't go back and watch that in your library anymore. Nobody's really talked about that. That's true. Yeah. I mean, but if you're buying a movie, I think even with Mulan, when Disney Plus put that out and you had to pay 30 bucks for it, I think they technically were selling you a license where you would you would actually own the video. So they couldn't pull that particular copy from you. But if it's just streaming on their you know, regular service, yeah, they have total control. Things come and go all the time from those. So you, you don't own that. You just, you're just renting the, you're renting basically at that point. So you're, you get to watch it for as long as it's visible. Uh, I don't think that's uh, going to deter people from streaming services. 
I mean, I used to buy a lot of DVDs, even TV shows, but now that they're on streaming, I feel like, why do I need to own that? I mean, unless the, you know, end of the world comes and I can only watch things I have on disc, um, almost everything's available somewhere all the time. But I think my point with the fact that you don't own it is like, it kind of makes the media we consume even more disposable. Like, I don't have to watch a good movie because I only need to watch it once and I'm never going to watch it again. Right. Which means you're not writing and filming really good art. No. And that's something to to consider with um, indie filmmaking, especially um, and production and the business model. So getting back to the business of it Mm -hmm. is if, if it is being created for streaming, which so much of it is now and, and uh, how like Warner brothers talks about all their films are going to release on streaming as well how does that change the business model for writers, for actors, for producers who used to get paid, or maybe they still do somehow get paid, you know, the quote unquote back end, you know, if a movie is really successful, what's the reward if it's all based on just subscriptions versus sales, even just DVDs or ticket sales. Yeah. I mean, before, for example, even on regular broadcast TV, they would rerun, you know, Sound of Music or Star Wars so much. I'm sure those people got tons and tons in royalty, you if know, they, because it was if a they specific, had it in their contract. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it was for a specific program that was being licensed. But if it's subscription and it's a smorgasbord, how do you know what movie everyone's watching and how do you divvy up the pie? I mean, the streamers know that. The question is, is whether or not they're paying based on that, you know. They're very secretive about yeah. the numbers. If you go to Netflix and make a deal, you know, are they buying out the movie in perpetuity, you know, whole heart, you know, whole hog kind of thing, and you just get one big payment, and then that's divvied up somehow with, you know, everybody who, who's in on in it. Mm-hmm. And 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 right now is the trickiest part because some people signed on to movies where they were supposed to be paid based on a percentage of box office, and it's not going to the box office like they thought. And these are big actors, you know, who aren't used to having their movies pulled from theaters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're pretty guaranteed that the movies was going to go to the theater. So that's um, there have been some stories about payments to actors, some big actors uh, when that happened. Like, like I, I think it was this Gail Godot um, for Wonder Woman. And, and uh, I think it was the other one. I can't remember. But yeah, something like that, where um, that's kind of been a shift in the business. Again, it may, may, may be temporary, may, may not be. The whole Warner Brothers thing is still kind of being um, hashed over. I think there were some legal questions about whether they would be able to actually do what they said they were going to do is releasing all their films day and day on streaming and theaters where, where they can release in theaters. And now it's time for a cross promo break. Speaking of your favorite films, here's some information on a great show called the Adult Beverage Film Podcast. Like having a drink and talking films? Yup. The Adult Beverage Film Podcast is your go-to podcast. Hey, Join the conversation and listen to film industry producers, actors, directors, writers share all of their experiences in the film industry. Expand your mind into films you've already seen. Plus, find new films to watch in the future. Visit adultbeverage.net or go to your favorite podcast platform and listen to Adult Beverage Film Podcast episodes today. Now, speaking of the digital space, and this kind of comes up with some of the newer things that are happening in entertainment news right now. I mean, is Hollywood dead because you have things like YouTube and TikTok? Yes, those are huge competitors. And I think we just talked about recently, there was an article about um, uh, 
was it TikTokers or YouTubers? I can't remember. Were, were influencers, be, influencers inf- in general. Inf- influencers in general. Yeah. We're going to be represented by um, SAG. Yep. And that, yep. wow. You know, that's, that's a huge change. And it, we talked about it from a writing perspective because these people who are YouTubers who technically are creating content, are they writing it? Are they, you know, are they going to be represented by the WGA at some point? Mm-hmm. You know, we have the WG, does the WGA does cover unscripted shows, right? So I are, don't think it does. Does it? I oh. don't think it covers reality TV. To my knowledge, reality TV is all non-union. Ah, okay. So, so those would mostly probably fall under that then. I wouldn't expect to see the Writers Guild jump into that. But not fray, necessarily, because but... some creators, uh, they do scripted stuff. You know, if you do a sketch show, that's scripted. People mm-hmm. who do like parody videos of Disney songs or something, that's scripted. Yeah, we did Reclamation. You know? That's a scripted show. Yeah. I mean, the things that are unscripted are people who are like, you know, look at my life hack or watch me, you know, yeah. skateboard down a staircase or something like, you know, little slice of funny, you know, things yeah. like that. But yeah, but that's I mean, it's it's an interesting landscape um, mm-hmm. because, it, yeah, you know, I do wonder what it means for, you know, are they going to be producers directors also those guilds and i mean part of the joy of youtube and tiktok is that it's not scripted television it's different yeah and Mm -hmm. and when those people become represented by the union how does that change how their work is you know compensated and and distributed so suddenly you know is youtube going to have to start you know signing deals with agents and managers and that kind of stuff. Because you hear about people on TikTok getting representation. Oh, a lot of influencers yeah. already have managers. Like, the big ones already have representation. That's not... I mean, because you can have representation and not be in the union. That has nothing to do with it. But it's more... It's interesting because the articles... Uh, there's a New York Times article we'll put in the show notes. It did say follower count doesn't matter. It only matters if the influencers had brand deals. And so that also makes me wonder, like, what's, what's the union angle on that? It could come back to that, though. Imagine you're a YouTuber with millions of followers, okay? You generate a lot of advertising revenue for YouTube. So what happens when the agent goes back to YouTube and says, we want a new deal? We want a bigger cut of that ad revenue because, you know, YouTube's taking a lot of it. So it, it does, it could come into play. That could be something we see in the future where YouTubers with significant followings can start to demand more from the platform. Similar to Twitch, you know, some of the Twitch uh, channels have hundreds of thousands of viewers every day, you know, so these aren't one-time things. These are people with followers that come back. But then the question is, does YouTube have a contract for non-union versus union? And the other thing is, like, again, criteria, because right now to get into SAG, you have to either have three vouchers from doing background work or your Taft Hartley. They kind of took away or kind of tightened up the um, web series route in there. So you're back to the old two ways. So now this new route is as an influencer, which I like, it's so new, I don't know the terms of it. But then is it also the same thing with SAG where it's, you know, 30 days must join and you can play both sides of it and be union and non-union? Or if you join as a creator, are you instantly union? The other thing is once you're union, you cannot do union or I'm sorry, once you're union, you cannot do non-union work. So what if an influencer gets a non-union branding deal? What does that mean for them? Right. And I think we actually we actually checked because the, the Writers Guild does have a new media um, 
uh, representation as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of people who write like uh, web series may not realize it, but they could possibly be qualified to get into the union if you have a series that has enough you know episodes, enough minutes. You actually can uh, become a WGA writer through doing something digital. Mm-hmm. I guess you know going back to the original question is Hollywood dead? It's like no, it's just constantly changing. Hollywood is just like any other industry. It's going to evolve. And this series of, of events that we've gone through in recent years and the changes over the past couple of decades are all part of it. And it's, it's going to be fine. It's just going to be different. It's going to be very different. Well, what do you guys think? Do you, do you believe us? Do you think Hollywood's uh, alive and well? Or do you think it's on the way out? Let us know in the uh, comments. Um, and uh, do share this with your friends and uh, give us a review on iTunes if you can. Great, we'll see you guys soon.